Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on February the 1st, 2015. On the night of September the 11th, 2001, I said on the radio that the hardest thing from now on that would happen to you would be to hold on to your sanity as you go through massive changes because the changes were planned and published often long before the event, the the changes that would follow to supposedly cope with the event and do damage control, etc. But long ago, they were talking about doing all the things of biometric scanning and total communications over everybody's communications and copying them all, etc., and watching every single person long before 9-11 came along because with every advance in technology, in fact, even the introduction of particular technologies, it vastly changes the behavior and the way of thinking of society. From, if you think about the change over from the horse and cart to the steam engine, for instance, the steam engine allowed massive freight to be carried into very remote areas where existing villages were, were overwhelmed with the sudden influx of people, etc., etc., and they could also start other businesses and export stuff by train out of their area, mining stuff and so on. Other villages cropped up alongside the railroad tracks, and that's all people thought about at the time was prosperity, what was opening up, and your behavior would adapt to the circumstances from an agricultural agrarian society into a manufacturing society. And so on. And those at the top with the big money and investments planned it that way with factory towns, etc. Not the cowboy era, believe you me, it was mainly factory towns that sprung up all over the place. And then you had the introduction of the automobile and the expansion of roads and the building of new roads across areas that hadn't existed before, except perhaps the occasional trail here and there for a cart. And uh, and, and with it all, too, comes governmental departments and bureaucracies to maintain these things through taxation and so on. So your behavior always changes, and you adapt to the changes, and uh, and eventually it's, it's all normal to you. And that's why some generations look back on the, on the previous generations and seem as old-fashioned and quaint, and they can't really fathom how they lived. And somehow they also think they must have been awfully unhappy uh, stuck in rural areas, and they couldn't travel very far, and so on. And nothing's further from the truth. In fact, they're more isolated than we're often, and the slower news was would take to even reach them, uh, the happier they were. They couldn't get so brainwashed by a big commercialized media. So today you have the internet and you've had television for years. That drastically, drastically altered behavior because all governments used it as a tool to modify behaviors, uh, to drum up patriotism when they have future wars to, uh, on, the, on the table ready to go, uh, things like that. Um, and then during wars, they churn out the movies paid by your tax money often about the military might and how it's great fun and all the rest of it, fighting the bad guys. So... All technology is used, it has its own particular effect on society, but it's also used by those who know uh, how to rule over the minds of people from the top. And uh, we live in a very Machiavellian time, more more efficient than Machiavelli could ever have dreamed upon. 
uh, in his age, where again, it was town criers went round villages with propaganda and decrees from the top. And they even used the churches too to put out what they claimed was news at the, at the time of impending invasions or wars and why they had to go off and fight, etc., etc. So everything is used by existing powers, and existing powers expand their powers and grow uh, massively during times of conflict and, and change, etc. During the, uh, the, the 50s and the 60s, a government was all gung-ho for science to, to take over, uh, to, to rule society in a sense. To rule society and guide society with all these miracles that would introduce into the general population, microwave ovens and, and the television, eventually color television and, and so on, and uh, the space programs, and then all the science fiction movies which were flooded out to the public, to make them think there was, oh, we'll all end up in space one day. Every child thought he'd end up in space, going out for adventures and so on. And of course, nothing of the kind materialized, and it wasn't intended to either. So fiction is heavily used by manipulators of the future, always, always, because we've got to remember that mythology itself is a very, very powerful tool when it can be uh, brought up from the darkest depth of, of ancient times and back to the present, completely altered, in fact. Uh, in fact, when we talk about myths today and the movies that turn out using all mythological characters, the people who were alive in the day then the, when these myths originated uh, wouldn't understand you at all because it would be nothing, nothing like the, the actual core gossip or beliefs or myths that uh, were getting created at the time. So we live in constant changing times, and every, every possible thing that's worked on people in the past and various religions too are used over and over again. Uh, you create religion, uh, which is a common belief system, push from the top again. Uh, in any direction you want, you have an atheized religion, like a communist religion. Uh, the, the future utopia, heaven, is going to be brought on earth by everyone uh, being monitored and training themselves, self-monitoring, very puritanical in a sense. Uh, to make sure you had no uh, counter-revolutionary thoughts and you'd all work for the greater good of the state. Uh, that was a religion, the Marxian religion. So never ever discount uh, other people's belief systems and never go by the mainstream media because unfortunately they, they, they're, they're a tool of the power structure that rules the world. You, you, you'll be amazed at the amount of wars, for instance, that Britain, during its empire days, got involved in, one after the other, in far-flung places, which they really did not understand at all. They didn't understand the peoples. They didn't understand the history of the peoples that they were going to dominate. They didn't understand the, the way of life of the, of the village to the city or whatever, in places like India and, um, and even Afghanistan. Uh, and across Africa either. Their answer to it always was to throw in missionaries, try to, what we call, civilize or tame them. And uh, if that didn't work, they'd bring in the troops. And so every, all techniques were used, including uh, threat of power and use of force, and then actual massive use of force to try and make it work, uh, and trying to make square pegs fit into round holes. That's the sadness of 
the so-called experts' plans that always end up with incredible consequences and long-lasting consequences and catastrophes. But it's not just at home. When you get involved in a war, and I've said this many times over the years, you will become, in many respects, what you, you're told your, your enemy is. You become as vicious. You'll use the same techniques, uh, which means that your, your moral, your initial moral authority that you've been told that you have, because you're always the good guys when you invade somebody, uh, that will dissipate as well until you become barbaric. In fact, you become more barbaric than the supposed enemy that you're fighting. And that comes home with the troops. It also infects the culture back home through all the propaganda too when the fallout starts to begin and they become hard and bitter and, and, and more brutal towards each other at home as well. And governments themselves grab more and more and more power to try to contain this mess that they've made that has ripple effects across the board, not just in the countries they're in, to get their oil or to get their goods or, or their jewels or their diamonds or their uh, gold or whatever for their big businesses at home, big corporate businesses, but um, and, and a few f- private families. Uh, but it, it infects you back home, and you, you have incredible fallout from it all. From it all, it really is incredible fallout. In a system that pretends to be democratic, and I really mean pretends. You always have these kind of problems because in a, a so-called democracy, we all you have kind of laissez-faire uh, capitalism to an extent, where they don't invest in anywhere, including slave nations, if the profits are good, and um, and for that, and then if they abolish slavery, they simply give them a pitiful wage, and often they'll move these these people, these workers across in the islands. This still goes on today, uh, and the workers put themselves down as paying off their their transport to get to this island they're going to work in and mine or whatever it is. And, and of course, they never pay it off. They can't pay it off, so they're stuck there most of their lives digging in these rotten mines. So slavery doesn't form in many... It does exist today in many forms, uh, one or another. And unfortunately, the world is run by gangs. Uh, we are taught, for instance, that the countries across, say, the Middle East and into Asia are primitive, and they're not primitive, they're very ancient, and they've survived awfully well under their circumstances and climates, etc., and conditions. And we're almost taught that we've got the moral authority and troops are getting the most basic indoctrination possible so that they don't think too deeply about what they're being sent to do. They don't know the history of the peoples, the cultures of the people. They're taught to go in there and and bring democracy, democracy, this thing called democracy, it's a foreign concept to people abroad, never mind increasingly to, to the people at home. But um, as I say, in dem- democracy, how can you have big business literally running the financial system of the country that you live in, and in other countries too, and creating their own world empire by their own means, and governments going cap in hand to borrow from them all the time, which gives power to the lender always, always to the lender, and terms to the lender. And terms aren't just paying it back with massive compound interest. It's also uh, suggestions on how governments should handle their affairs, including their political affairs at home and abroad. And there you have 
private groups or clubs, you might say, of very powerfully wealthy people. And they have such pool and organizational abilities. They have massive bureaucracies in their corporations and think tanks, often bigger than governments. And so much at their disposal to, to work their future plans and, and how to even use governments and whole nations for their own private businesses, including the troops and, and so on as well. It's a sad, sad state of affairs. And this loose term of democracy is always elastic because it expands and contracts all the time and gets stretched in all different directions according to the needs of those who already rule or any of the new groups who rule, like I say, in the the bankers when they were given total power of deregulation back in the 80s under under Reagan and, and Thatcher at the same time. And then, of course, when you, you end up with the crashes in 2007-8, then you find you have just as many gangs and criminals working inside the big massive banking system as the gang lords that they'd installed over in Afghanistan and places like this, that, that, that your own governments are installed by their military. Yeah, and you don't understand the people at all in the countries that you're over there fighting in. So you have a loose term called democracy. And when the bank crashes came, the governments didn't know what to do about it. Rather than arrest them all, which would make the whole collapse, total collapse of the banking industry and the economy and your governments, they just simply threw money at them and have to accept they're ruled economically by big, powerful, interrelated gangs. That doesn't give you much confidence for the future, does it? But meanwhile, so all the old myths that why you existed as a nation, etc., these these myths and these symbols have fallen flat. It doesn't work the same way anymore. It doesn't work the same way. After World War I, for instance, so many millions of guys were getting thrown over the, the, the trenches every single day, 64,000 dying in a day, more next day, and so on. Throw in another battalion, throw in another battalion. That was the mentality of the officer corps at the time who ruled the show at the top in the HQs. Like a scorecard. How many do we lose today? Oh, 100,000 or 200, you know. Uh, throw in another one. And out of that mythology that they created, they had to create to keep it going and win, try to win this war, the financial powers of the, of the, of the West, had to invent these new mythologies and say, well, it's for a future utopia. Uh, it's to bring in a, a more equitable world and, and more equality back home. Because we're emerging all in the West from a feudalistic system where this term democracy had never been applied to everybody at all. The majority of the folk had no vote, if they didn't own property and so on. So you think you win a little bit here and a wee bit there, but the big boys already, already had it planned when most folk got the vote or all got the vote. They would simply create, through their big clubs, of course, like the Royal Institute for International Affairs, Council on Foreign Relations, private institutions that would then work with the governments to unite the banking systems across the world, the economies, but still own it privately. 
And the public wouldn't elect these different organizations. They simply put themselves in place and worked with the powerful elite because they were the powerful elite. They were members of already. But I always think it's so ironic that, for instance, the U.S. funded the the initial setup of the guys who would become al-Qaeda to fight the, the, the Russians when they went into Afghanistan. And then when the U.S. went back in to Afghanistan later to fight the Afghanis, they, they then funded different factions, and there are warlords, in other words. And they'd overthrow what they thought were the worst warlords by replacing them with other ones who behaved in the same natural historical way of warlords all down through the time in Afghanistan. And they didn't understand it at all, what they were doing. They didn't understand it at all. And as I say, so they've just fed a fire which should never have been started in the first place and kept feeding it and feeding it till now it's out of control across all of these countries. All starting with, with Western interference long ago and again the domination of who's going to own the oil of the world. This term interdependence is quite fascinating. You see, under the big corporate, big business structure that we live under, they look to the future all the time. That's where they, they employ all the futurist think tanks to try and see what's coming up down the road and to keep, keep power in their, in their hands. Just like any government would do, private big corporations, private corporations, um, make their big plans, geopolitical plans way in advance, so they'll never lose power. And because they were importing so much oil for such a long, long time from the Saudis and different countries, they wanted monopoly of it themselves. It was a nuisance to have the people inside those countries owning the oil fields. It was an awful nuisance when they could have it all to themselves in the West. And through many different techniques and trial and error, they've tried to do this very, very, very thing. As I say, since the 1980s, since the banks were deregulated, the gangs inside the banks have planned a lot of these wars and used the governments and the troops to try and grab all this oil for themselves as well. It's a sad state of affairs. So you're interdependent, we like it or not. If we lived in a world you didn't need oil, as I say, every invention has its consequences. Everything that's going to be promoted as an invention into the general public, into society, into transportation, so on, has got massive consequences. And if, it, if it's running on, on oil and, and gasoline, petroleum derived from oil, then anything that happens across the, the waters which produces that oil uh, can fluctuate and have devastating consequences back home. So therefore, we live in a a very unstable society. Governments have abdicated more and more power long ago, actually, to the the big banking system. And the banking systems themselves, as I say, often have such big bureaucracies that they're equal to some governments across the world, and, and bigger budgets too, some of them. Yet we still push this 
term called democracy, even though democracy, when it was initially thrashed out in public and in Parliament in Britain, they came out with the idea eventually and said, well, democracy can only end up having special interest groups heavily funded by interested parties, which they now call stakeholders. So private parties, groups of very powerful people, fund so many of the NGOs, for instance, that demand climate change taxes and taxes for everything and so on. This is part of the agenda for the global controllers who want total domination, not just over the Middle East, but the whole planet, folks, the whole planet. Not just over groups of people, but the minds of each individual across the world down the road. Actually, it's already here. Everything you think, everything you utter, every little comment or quip has to be recorded, if possible, as you're monitored from birth to death to make it safe for the masters of the world to go on into the future with their own offspring who will inherit the power and be exempt from all this monitoring and so on. The chaos that ensues, they simply say, uh, like the Rockefeller said, you can't make an omelette without breaking eggs. That's what we're going through today, is the smashing up of the eggs. A lot of mess, a lot of eggshells in amongst the omelette. And this is all accepted at the top as we go into more intrusion into our private lives. And this is only the start of it. Um, I'll go into the touch on this tonight, in fact, because everything has consequences, I say. Never read the superficial lines in the news and just take it at face value and say, well, they'll still be nice about things. Because, you see, that's not, not how humanity works. Now, here's an article that ties exactly in with what I'm talking about to do with the consequences of things. And the consequences of what happens in one country, if they're all on board with agendas, will be the same as another. And you simply have to look at Britain to see uh, the incredible police state that's uh, formed in Britain. And at the same time, uh, they're still letting everyone come in from all the countries that are supposedly radical supposedly radical, and using that as an excuse to watch everyone inside Britain and then they expand their powers once it's all on the books. Well, here's in Canada, is an article about the recent debate. It was actually all drafted up long ago, I'm sure. The next step of anti-terrorism legislation for Canada, I'm sure it was all done in phases. They do it in phases, you see. So you accept one phase, well, and then you get used to it and you go back to eating the grass, you know. And uh, like like cattle in the field, and then they bring in the next phase and the next phase. It's all planned that way because they understand how the general population tick. But it says British Columbia, this is the west coast of Canada, Civil Liberties Association Policy Director Michael Vaughan, uh, July the 11th, with files of cases in the association's Vancouver office. And that was when they first came out with um, uh, some of this stuff. But it says the federal government is expected to introduce new anti-terrorism legislation Friday. This is last Friday. But experts say British Columbians should be aware of how it could affect their freedoms. Well, naturally. This is like a carbon copy. It probably is just taking off a British paper that they put out years ago. The bill is expected to include provisions making it easier for police to arrest suspected radicals 
a retooling of Canada no-fly list, reduced privacy, privacy limits on passport application information, and a crackdown, this is interesting, on communication aimed at radicalization, according to recent comments made by Prime Minister Stephen Harper and media reports. Michael Vaughan, policy director for the BC Civil Liberties Association, said, well, details of the bill aren't yet clear, and that's what they do with these massive omnibus bills that are thousands of pages. They're deliberately made that way. People are concerned about how the introduction of more extraordinary powers to police and national security without appropriate accountability and transparency could hurt British Columbians. We're looking at provisions that will undoubtedly violate rights of Canadians and not make us one bit demonstrably safer, Vaughan said. That's just one little article. It goes on and on, but um, they get the, the, the feedback from the BBC Muslim Association. But, but who's, who's talking for the average person here? Why do you have to belong to any group to say this isn't right? What, this isn't right? I mean, it really is ridiculous, you know. And then out comes this one. It says there's a fine line between legitimate religious expression and inciting terrorism, says Conservative Cabinet Minister Jason Kenney. Well, that's what he's paid to say. It's that line the government will be walking carefully in its new anti-terrorism bill expected to be unveiled Friday. The bill is the government's much-awaited legislative response to two attacks carried out on Canadian soldiers last fall by men believed to have been influenced by radical Islam. Attacks the government considers acts of terrorism. Though police already have the power to go after those suspecting of being on the verge of committing terrorist attacks, the new bill is partially aimed at stopping the seeds of those attacks from germinating altogether. Our objective is not to diminish legitimate expression of political or religious views, but rather incitement to terrorism. There's a fine line there that the legislation will try to draw, Kenny said in an interview Tuesday. Obviously, there are some malevolent religious influences that can add to the process of radicalization towards violent extremism, and we have to be extremely mindful of that. How to effectively combat radicalization is a struggle facing governments and security agencies the world over. The RCMP is currently rolling out its own strategy, which includes working more closely with community groups in order to identify and divert people who may be susceptible to extreme views that could eventually lead to violence. Well, I've used that in Britain now for years. So this copy was been done, you see. This is a sad thing. When something goes awry and, and people panic nearer the top, they tend to look what's been done already elsewhere. If it hasn't worked elsewhere, it doesn't matter. They have to grab it and try and use it, and it won't work anywhere else either. And then, too, what it's aimed at uh, becomes uh, almost watered down because they've expanded to include, to include anyone with an opinion contrary to any government policy or, or specific government policies on anything. If they don't like you, in other words, they can go after you. That's humanity. Humans are not anything but anything but some perfect species, believe you me. But the police need broader powers to deal with those doing the radicalization, suggested Conservative MP Tim Upple, who is also the Minister of State for Multiculturalism. The police are doing their investigation and they come across people who are trying to radicalize others, 
before any type of violence, I think that's somewhere where we need to, to take some action, Apple told the Green Press recently. Their problem facing legislators is how to handle radicalization online, which many acknowledge is the primary source of information for young men and women who later end up joining violent causes. We need to be able to follow up and see how we can ensure that we are able to either stop those messages that people are getting or at least be able to follow up on it in some way, Apple said. But the Liberal Public Safety Critic Wayne Easter said he wonders why existing anti-terror laws of various kinds haven't been put to full use. Now here's the reason why they haven't been put to full use. When legislation is introduced, it has to be pushed from the top to radicalize the police forces and all the other agencies that are overseers, you might say, of society. Because it does there's no doubt it radicalizes them. There's no doubt whatsoever. And you don't introduce things piece by piece over the years to, to accept and accept little bits and little bits, and then they push for the big one because this is going to change all relationships between the public, believe you me, and police and so on, who will become ultra-paranoid. And uh, it will also, uh, you, you, unfortunately, it's going to go the way of the U.S. with these massive internal armies and agencies, uh, with all their SWAT teams and everything else, who, who just storm in and if there's anybody left alive at the end of it, they'll ask questions later. Uh, this is the way the cowboy mentality that gets pushed. Really, there's so many Canadians who really hope it's not going to happen the same way here, and I hope it doesn't. Because if, if I saw the signs of that happening, I'd just move immediately to some other place, any, anywhere at all. Because then, you're, when, once this, this starts, it's never going to stop, you understand. For your whole life long, do you want to live in a police state your whole life? Do you want to live in a, in a society where every little comment you've made is going to be misconstrued by someone who has either got it in for you? Uh, or an agency, who, which again, just like the, the ticket police, has to fulfill its quotas. And that's what happens too, you know. The drug enforcement agencies in the States do this as well. The, the quotas they meet and so on. It doesn't matter if the guy's innocent or guilty. If he's left alive, you know, he'll, he'll be charged with something uh, and put on the books and so on. We don't want that in the rest of the world. We don't want this at all. But unfortunately, the masters who are in, in cahoots with each other across the world... I think, I think they actually do. I think they actually do. Because they themselves at the very, very top never had any uh, belief whatsoever that democracy would ever work. And there's lots of university papers and books been put over many, many years on that very, very fact. The Club of Rome said the same thing in the first global revolution. That One of the books they put out, they said that democracy would never work. Too many conflicting parties, conflicting groups all demanding their own particular rights, think nothing would get ever get done. And at the top, when you run by big massive commerce, it runs everything. Our whole way of life is based around commerce. Your whole culture, everything's based around commerce. So the masters who rule commerce want more and more say in how things all work, including how you behave and how you, how you think and what you think and what you believe and everything else. They want to make sure they can create you like a robot and that will come down the road too. So the, the omelets are being created, the eggs are being all smashed, 
and you're living. You're, the, the generations who are living now have, have this for their whole life to contend to with because the big boys never stop their plan. See, this is not working. It's not working. The old myth that they pushed out there, and it really was a myth, that if you just simply bring people into a country, they'll all adapt for prosperity and get along. Hasn't really worked. And, and I, I think it was Angela Merkel said the same thing in Germany a, a while back. Uh, it failed. Because people tend to drift in and create their own communities. They like their own kinds, unfortunately. And uh, they, they bring all, And the more there are of them, because they are familiar with their own culture naturally, they want to keep it rather than come into this new kind of materialistic culture um, that's been fostered and created by Hollywood and another group who wanted to dominate uh, everybody else. Now, a lot of folk won't like what I'm saying, but this is what this is. What is. It's realistic. This is, this is realism that I'm talking about here. Not mythologies. Not idealisms. It's what is. It's not out of my own head. I'm not guessing at any of this stuff. There's lots of publications from universities, as I say, and many professors and many so-called experts at the top who, who published this stuff. He even met so many members of the Council on Foreign Relations who helped set up this whole structural system, including what's taught in the universities and colleges and schools, which give you your idea of reality. It's not yours at all. Not yours whatsoever. So, what's happening in Canada is not that they're really putting out new laws that they haven't enforced before. It's the order to start enforcing. And that changes the mentality of the agencies that will start to enforce it all. It puts pressure on them. They must produce. They must show results of what they're up to. And that, that can cause absolute hell on the road to it. I read recently a book. It was called The Rise of the Warrior Cop in America, from America. And the drug wars and all the other things that they used for the rise of this war, military-type kind of policeman. And this is what they were going to bring across the whole world. And that's not right. You, you cannot possibly still call yourself democracies when you have this going on. Because there's folk in, in the States get killed all the time who have nothing to do with drugs. The wrong places get, get raided and whole families wiped out. It's been happening for years and years and years, and yet it goes on. It just goes on and on and on. That's why you should always say, never demand anything from government. Never demand it. The average person's taught to say, oh, that's wrong, they should do something about that. Who should do something about that? Because if government gets involved, they might regret it. Because it always goes, as I say, awry. Always. This is the history of the world. When force and government work their big ideas across nations. Now this article says that the RCMP Commissioner Paul uh, Rob Paulson has said Zihaf Bibo appeared lucid and purposeful in spelling out the motives this is when the guy did the shooting, I think, which Paulson described as being rooted in his religious beliefs and opinion of Karen's foreign, Canada's foreign policy. 
uh, Paulson initially wanted to see the footage released to the public, but a sin signaled that it may not happen. Uh, it says, Easter said he'd like to know if the message on the video lines up with what federal officials have said about it. Maybe it doesn't match with the Prime Minister's messaging, he said. Now that would be a sad commentary if the Commissioner of the RCMP is being led down the path. But we'll see. That's one article. And then this article here. It says, Canadian government continues to expand state powers while leaving privacy by the wayside. The Canadian government is scheduled to release the new security legislation Friday that would grant even more power to its police and domestic security agencies. This proposal comes in response to a string of lone wolf shootings of soldiers in Canada last October. This isn't the first over uh, broad anti-terror legislation we've seen proposed or enacted in Canada, and that's what's concerning. The country has been playing catch-up post-9-11, hastily increasing state surveillance powers, particularly during this past year. Bills that grant a broad range of policing and intelligence powers to government agencies as well as speech restrictions on ordinary citizens, have already been brought forward, but we have yet to see the implications of these laws, as many of them are still navigating through the legislature just coming into effect now. Tamir Israel, staff lawyer at the Samuelson Glushko Canadian Internet Policy and Public Interest Clinic, cautions the Canadian government in creating yet another set of new powers before the dust has even settled on the last set of expansions. Top Canadian judges agree, saying there are laws in place such as provisions in Canada's Anti-Terrorism Act that were crafted for this purpose. Retired Supreme Court of Justice uh, Frank Iacobisi cautioned about. It says the spillover effects that any rush to expand police powers would have on freedom of religion, association and expression, the possible tainting of Canada's Muslim community, and the risk of overreaching by security intelligence agencies when sharing information in a global fight against terrorism. To pile on more anti-terrorism legislation is simply reactionary and a recipe for disaster. Then all the other politicians again. The Prime Minister Stephen Harper, Prime Minister however, ensures that his proposal will contain the proper tools Canadian police and security agencies need in order to keep citizens safe and new, as new threats arise. Why the need for more legislation in the country's state surveillance powers already are so robust? Documents released by The Intercept this week from the files leaked by Edward Snowden show that the Communications Security Establishment, formerly known as Communications Security Establishment Canada, is already using very invasive surveillance tools. The revelations that CSE tracked millions of downloads each day all over the globe as part of its foreign intelligence spying and Five Eyes Information Sharing Initiative exposes an overreaching surveillance state with little or no oversight. You understand, when you have these kind of reactions from governments and orders are issued that must be fulfilled, this part about little or no oversight will get worse and worse and worse as the various agencies are told to perform, to produce uh, to show how many arrests they've made or whatever. And I'll try another thing too, unfortunately. There's a lot of uh, middlemen in the way that they use and assets they use that will lie their teeth off and make up the stories. We've found this in the past too, to get folk convicted. They might be in the hole for years and years before it's admitted that this CIA asset or whatever it happened to be or whatever country you used them 
uh, this little snitch uh, that got, got time off himself or got paid for all the stories he made up. This is what happens when the need to produce results to show their superiors overrides factual evidence. And then you're in a sorry, sorry state, believe you me. And since government goes round corners on square wheels to stop all this and change it, it can take generations, if ever again. And personally, with internet and so on, I don't think it ever will. I think this had to go along with this, again, the introduction of this technology into society. How we adapt and it changes us as it goes along. It changes society, our behavior, everything. And it also allows all this nonsense to continue as well. Sad, isn't it? But that's where we are with all of this stuff. Now you combine the last article with this article from the Globe and Mail. And it says the majority of Canadians are ready to give new powers to the government. This is from a poll. And polls are a joke, as we all know. It says government to combat security threats, including blocking websites that promote the proliferation of terrorism, a new poll suggests. Overall, the Global Mail Research Survey found the federal government has strong support to introduce legislation that would limit charter rights, such as freedom of expression. So there you go, freedom of expression, within certain limits, which is as vague as they want it to be, because they can use it for anything, after a series of attacks at home and abroad. And as the Prime Minister says, he's looking at strengthening powers to survey, detain, and arrest after an attack on Parliament Hill. That was on that Wednesday. Stephen Harper says Parliament security will work with other police agencies. Now, the thing is, the way even this is worded gives them wide scope for everything, really. Why aren't they just aiming it at, and be specific, and say, okay, it's for this, this group here, because that's where it seems to be coming from. Rather than putting a broad band across the, the, the whole network with, with people simply voicing opinions about other things altogether that the government's up to and are not liking that either. They have reasons for this, isn't it? They're not stupid completely at the top. They're not stupid. It's not that. It's not that. And I know where it's all going to go too, because you understand, I don't know if people know this, but in Afghanistan and Iraq and different places where the British and US military have been for a while, when they go into villages, they make every male uh, take biometric scanning. Their irises, fingerprints, everything, DNA, you name it. And they want this globally across, the, including at home too. And big business is always involved in this system, which we think is democracy. Guiding it. They're always guiding it. It's for their own sales, etc. And uh, these big businesses have been supplying the militaries of the world for a long time with all this, the, the biometric scanning stuff. It's portable stuff, too. They can carry on the battlefield with them. So they want to do it at home as well. For your own safety, naturally. And it's great sales. But since the IBIA and the SIA declare support for new biometric exit provisions, the International Biometrics and Identification Association, another big club, you see, big business, uh, 
in concert with the Security Industry Association, the guys who make all the war industries and so on, has issued an open letter in support of provisions set forth in Section 13 of HR 399 to the Secure Our Borders First Act, says. Statement addressed to Michael McCall and Benny Thompson, the chairman and ranking member of the House Homeland Security Committee's respective leading states, comes nearly a year after the, the IBIA voices concern that the mandate for biometric exit had remained unfulfilled. In other words, they hadn't got all their orders they wanted. <laughs> Nothing to do with right or wrong. The new letter makes it clear that the original vision of a comprehensive border security regime is still unfulfilled, but the biometric exit data systems provisions contained in Section 13 of HR 399 are a solid first step in the right direction. You see. And this article here. Next one it says is in CBC News uh, is to do with uh, the new security bill aimed at combating lone, lone wolf attacks coming this week. Legislation will expand powers of domestic security agencies in wake of last year's attacks. So lone wolf attacks, you see. Now, a lot of the lone wolf uh, idea or ideology comes from people who are mentally unstable which they were all aware of. Often with the history of being treatment, having to treat for schizophrenia and various things like that, paranoia. And uh, if it wasn't one thing it would radicalize them, it would be something else. They're given a cause, you see, or they grab a cause. And they can be used, actually, by existing groups to commit various acts as well. But it says that the, the legislation will expand powers of domestic security agencies in the wake of last year's attacks, Harper said the new legislation will contain a range of measures to ensure their policies and security agencies have the tools necessary to combat domestic threats. Harper said the new legislation will contain a range of measures to ensure that our police and security agencies have the tools necessary. Well, let's keep repeating the same stuff. But um, so far I haven't got the whole uh, bill. Uh, I guess it was passed on Friday. And we'll have to wait and see. It'll be so it's such a long thing. It'll take months to go through all, all. Or we might not even get it all dished out to the public for a long. It might even be a year or two before we get to access to it all. We'll get some very very basic principles and so on. This has changed topics. You remember everything's thought out at the top through think tanks and so on, how to use everything to their advantage. A particular thing that happens, or see the gas prices going down. Um, immediately the, the, the big uh, car or truck manufacturers get in that, oh, we're going to go back to the 70s or 60s and time you buy a truck. Not telling you this is a temporary little geopolitical uh, war glitch that they've got on the go to lower the prices. And also, the reason that a lot of the prices are lowered right now, by the way, is that, you see, this is the ideal time to put in a carbon tax on top of it and up the price, the taxes on gasoline. Because you won't grumble, you see. If your, if your gas goes down to about, uh, under a dollar, you say, oh, well, it's still cheaper than it was before. Believe you me, once you put a carbon tax on and up the percentage of, of taxes on gasoline, uh, and then they jack up to the, the old price and then beyond, then you'll really see it, folks. Because you are to be trained to go into austerity, to remember. That's part of the world's solution, they claim as uh, experts running your lives to make sure, because you're just too stupid to manage your life yourself, you see, and um, and so on. But it says, clawing back just a few of the many cents per litre 
the price of gas has dropped recently, would set provincial, this is for Ontario, finances on a whole new course, while still allowing drivers to benefit from historically low prices. And um, what could be dreary about a month that brings a fresh draw of pleasure every time you pass a gas station? And then they give you the usual kind of happy, happy, happy stuff before they hit you. Uh, it's time to, 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 for government to get more money to keep it afloat, of course, uh, so they can fix the roads and that, which never happens, uh, etc. You all know this, the same in the States and Britain and everywhere else across the world, the same coins are used. It says, but the unexpected and unearned happiness makes this the perfect time for a significant long overdue hike in provincial fuel taxes. Most well, overdue, really. Calling back just a few of the many cents per litre, the price of gas has dropped in recent months, even recent weeks, would set provincial finances on a whole new course while still allowing drivers to benefit from historically low prices. Where it's local, provincial, in the US's state, or federal taxes, very little of any of it will ever go to the reasons that they support. That's why we're in the mess we're in. And they've always got new projects on the go all the time. And there's a lot of money because through corruption just goes missing all the time too, folks. But we're always given some fairy tale story because we like fairy tale stories, you see. We feel safer about it. To, to help us all, the more taxes. Because, I mean, government always needs more taxes, doesn't it? It's, you know... The wages keep increasing and they have to keep up with the cost of living up the top. Last summer we were paying 125 a litre or more. I think it was more. We up more up here. We up 140-odd. Today we're paying 82 cents. With a new stiff tax hike, we might be paying as much as 87 cents. Up here it's, it's about 97 to, or to, to a dollar where I live here. And this is still Ontario. Could any tax grant be more painless or potentially beneficial than that? So that's how they word it to the average Joe. They were, oh, so it was a few cents. And then it's, again, for another article, the Globe and Mail, because this is how they use it. Remember, never let a good crisis go to waste. Get your agenda through. Green climate change policy is characterized by inadequacy at the federal level and fragmentation at the provincial level. Two major recent Liberal announcements will exacerbate both these problems. First, Ontario Premier Kathleen Wynne announced that our government would implement a provincial carbon pricing policy. Then federal Liberal leader Justin Trudeau, who's trying to get, become what his dad was, you know, said that it was up to provincial governments to implement carbon pricing policy, not the federal government. As Prime Minister, he would coordinate provincial actions rather than formulate his own. So it's not a matter of should they even do it. It's all it's a going. Is it going to be federal or provincial? That's how they do these little fake, uh, you know, arguments. The politics of this are plain. Mr. Trudeau has, has definitely but significantly undercut his own previous declarations on carbon pricing, in an attempt to shield himself from Conservative Party attacks. And they go into usual nonsense about politics. This is this is a done deal, folks. It was, it's, we've signed agreements year after year for donkey's years, and a donkey's life is a long time, and a donkey's years is oh, awfully long. Uh, signing us deeper and deeper, we're committed to it. You never got a vote in any of it, and you never will. That's democracy, you see. This is the policy ramifications are also plain. It's the provinces that are f- uh, filling their federal policy vacuum and climate change with all its attendant economic and environmental consequences. Ontario will join British Columbia, Quebec and Alberta with some form of carbon pricing policy. 
possibly, uh, it's likely, but it's possibly cap and trade, touching an increasingly vast swath of economic activity. It'll even be your standard of living activity, right down to your, can you heat yourself or not? And what with? So that's how they introduced this kind of nonsense. They try to make it, well, it's just going to be big corporations that'll start trading more and more carbon credits to each other, etc., etc. And then the Guardian says the ten signs of stars are lining for a climate deal in Paris. Following Al Gore and Farrell Williams' Live Earth 2015 announcement, we round up nine other reasons to feel happier ahead of the crunch climate talks in Paris in December. So it's all... It's a, it's, a, it's a done deal. It's a done deal, folks. As you're brought into austerity, it's not just to, it's just not to take money off you. It's going to decide how much you're left with. And what you're left with is pretty well zilch once your beer essentials are paid. That's what I'm talking about. This, I kept saying you're going to get put into austerity. How do you think they're going to do it? All this was also discussed at the World Economic Forum, where it's thousands of dollars for a ticket, of course, that's to keep all the general population out, because uh, they're so democratic. Uh, but all the NGOs are funded to get in there, that are just the fronts for the big international corporations that run the foundations that pay them, you see, that, that pay these NGOs to get their policies through. But by demanding, just not a lobby group, really, the governments do what they're told by the private corporations. And then this one here, this guy just, uh, he can't fade off into the sunset. And it's Prince Charles, of course. And it says, says, uh, a new global pact on climate change due to be signed this year in Paris should be a Magna Carta for the earth. See, it's not just for little old you, Prince Charles has urged. He said this year marked the potential, the last chance to save the world from the perils of global warming. I can remember when he said we had months to do it a few years back. It was only months then, when we'd all die. But here we are. You know, lies don't matter. They can always regurgitate them, especially when you're someone like Charles, who has no imagination. But it says, with the Paris Conference and the United Nations plan to replace the Millennium Development Goals with a new set of sustainable development targets as you keep up in the quota, we simply cannot let this opportunity go to waste. Never ever forget that term. That's from the Council on Foreign Relations, Royal Institute for International Affairs, which is their parent organization. All private clubs, by the way, that help run the world. And they run the governments and put their own members into politics all the time. And then they vet everybody who runs for politics to make sure that it's always one of their guys in regardless of the party. And you vote because you think you're democratic. Anyway, Charles told a meeting of forestry and climate experts in London in the 800th anniversary year of the Magna Carta, perhaps this year's agreement of the new Sustainable Development Goals and a new climate agreement in Paris should be seen as a new Magna Carta for the Earth and humanity's relationship with it. But he warned of difficulties ahead as the negotiations build up. This is an absolutely crucial opportunity, if not the last chance before we end up in an irreversible situation for the international community to establish a new set of interlocking, coherent and ambitious frameworks governing human development. Poverty, he doesn't give a damn about poverty, his folk have been living off the public for general hundreds of years. Disaster risk reduction, the natural environment and climate change, you know, the weather is always changing. 
We could and should see an agenda set for the coming decade that is capable of transforming the prospects for humanity by improving and nurturing the state of the planet upon which we all depend. His insistence that the 2015 will be a make-or-break year for the climate and environmental sustainability were echoed by Mary Robinson, former president of Ireland and now the UN's special envoy for climate change. Jobs for the boys and girls, eh? They just go on and on, eh? From one little international job to the next. We'll make you, uh, we'll make you the, the president of Ireland, and then we'll put you up at the United Nations for the planet. And, you know, that's how it goes, folks. These people are little pawns in the game, little yes men, paid awfully well to get their master's voice put into words and bills and action and law. And that's democracy. That's democracy in action. And you have to think about it too. Was the Club of Rome right? That the belong as another division of the Royal Institute for International Affairs. I see, you know, uh, a big massive think tank it designed also to change the policies and cultures of the people by introducing indoctrination in different areas into the schools and to add to all the other indoctrinations that you're, you're, you're given. But they did say that uh, there were too many conflicting sides and groups and party. Well, they make sure of it because, you see, they're all, <laughs> even they, all their groups are paid by big foundations. That's where they get their big, massive paychecks from. So they don't believe in democracy anyway. Everything's privately owned that rules our lives. And we have pretty well no saying it at all. None at all. But the only say you'll, you'll have shortly is how you want to freeze to death. Because you'll say, well, I've got to use wood to heat. Oh, you can't anymore. It's a lot. They say, well, I can't afford the oil. Well, it's not our fault, sir. You know, they're alternative fuels. And then you go back in the sleep again. Well, I can't afford the alternative fuels. You go back in a constant loop, you see, where they're not saying you've got to die, but they're darn well, you do have to die. You see? That's how it's done. And you have been taught that humans are rational. There are so many lying, deceiving humans out there. Most folk have a bit of it in them, maybe more today than ever before. And especially folk who are... Paid to force it upon you They have to lie Because they'll never take responsibility For what they're going to cause And then you're in chaos Real chaos It's a sad state of affairs indeed But I've never seen Anything sent out by government Saying, do you, would you like to go along with this agenda or that agenda or this policy, and so on? And if not, why not? What were your criticisms of it before anything goes any further and gets passed any laws? You see, that would be democracy. But they can't even risk that because their excuses for what they do are so flimsy to start with, they know they couldn't succeed. Charles Galton Darwin said in his book, The Next Million Years, that slavery has always existed in one form or another. It's all to do with how you perceive it. 
you see. And since we're now in the process of creating a more sophisticated form of slavery, and that was back in the 1950s he wrote that book. He was already part of the big global futurist organizations planning with the big movers and shakers the future and the cultures and the changes for the world, along with many other well-known figures. And they were not kidding, folks. You don't pay people millions of pounds for us individual salary to put jokes out to the public. Well, I hope your climate change is treating me better than mine. Mine is, just, oh, I see the Fahrenheit scale that most of the U.S. uses. I'm hitting uh, 30 below quite often at night here. And I check the major media for the area, and including the federal weather report stations and so on. And I'm telling they're, they're underreporting every night by 10 to 16 degrees. Every night. Because it doesn't look good when you're globally freezing. Uh, and yet they're telling you, when you open the papers, next, you're, you're actually warming. You will live in a zoo, a manufactured zoo of Machiavellian proportions and beyond. And beyond. Because everything is now deception. Said with very straight faces by well-paid, quotation marks, experts. Hope you hang in there and keep your sanity. Don't fall for anything. Don't go nuts. And don't be terrified to death. Just be aware of things. And as I say, you've got lots to think about. And especially if you're young, it's probably time to look elsewhere in the world to live. That might have a few years left before the big boys decide they want something in that country and take it over. And snatch the few years of happiness you might be able to get. From Hamish Marcel from Ontario, Canada, it's good night. I mean, your God or your gods go with you.